his brother got one and he didn't want the he didn't want the green one so Man, it's good to be here today. What an awesome. I'm going to sit down today. I'm not going to. I don't feel like. I'm just going to talk. <laughs> Maybe. You know how that usually ends up. Uh, so, it's good to be here. I've had a. It's been a kind of a crazy week for me this week for the people in the valley where we live. Um. Today I'm just gonna it's gonna be a little bit different. I'm gonna share my heart. Um and um been just been been pretty heavy on my mind this week. There's been a lot that's that's happened that I'm gonna explain a little bit to. Uh the first of the week, first of all, this week's been kind of taxing on me and, and just body worked really hard, had long hours and been hot. Uh so I think a lot of it too has to do with that, just you're mentally wore out physically wore out mentally and then then just some other stuff began to happen this week uh the first of the week um there was a really really good friend of ours he was a uh kind of a local handyman he was a builder he just helped he was interesting guy he could fix just about anything he was a mechanic a welder i mean anything you needed done he done and and he was become real good friends with my mom and dad and with our our family um uh, Anyway, at the first of the week, he um, some things had, had been kind of escalating to a point, and he ended up and he killed himself this week. And so, um, before that happened, his um, his wife had got he had, got to where he drinking real bad and became abusive. And she ran into the woods, and she called she called my mom. Got my mom got involved. She called mom and said, "Mike's he's gone crazy." So, mom called the cops, which was really interesting. And it's the, the deputy sheriff that came, or the sheriff department came, is uh, is my cousin, and we Beth and I remember taking him to youth group. Good Christian young man, and lives in the valley, and come and it's like his first time that he had actually had to deal with something like this. And so my mom and dad ministered to him, and we'd been ministering to Mike uh, for a while now. Just he'd been kind of going into that 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 spot, and just kind of got to a, a place of of hopelessness. And ended his life that way. Um, so it's been really rough on the valley in our area because everybody knew him. Everybody loved Mike. Mike wasn't from here. He was originally from Florida and then from Texas and moved into our area. But immediately, everybody in our community loved Mike. He was just a just a really good guy to, to be around. We, I worked with him a little bit off and on, helping him out. And and um, so it was just a tough situation. So pray for me tomorrow because tomorrow I'll, I'm going to uh, be doing the funeral for the family tomorrow. And so... Uh, I didn't realize this, but he was only 46 years old, so he was just a couple years older than I was, and uh, just it was just sad to see the hopelessness. And the last this week, people have contacted my mom and Beth and began to talk to him and said, Christian people said, well, well the last times I seen Mike, he was drunk, and I would visit with him. And there was several people that had said that he left my house crying because we were witnessing to him. Telling him, hey, you got to, the Lord loves you, and this thing, and this was this, this witness. And I thought, man, what, what an interesting, sometimes we think the world's so bad and people are so disconnected, but then we really look and see the, the, the goodness that people have, and they begin to minister to people. Sometimes, and I've been preaching this for a while, sometimes we overlook that. Sometimes we overlook that and think, well, I just, you know, just did this along the way, but that is... That is the heart of God, more than anything else. So that happened. We were dealing with that. It was real close. Uh, my kids are really close to Mike. They love Mike. Mike had been there. He'd, uh, the little girls at one time was funny because Mike was around and he was working in the house. He always did. We always laughed because we always thought, because he was always doing some kind of project for mom and dad. And uh, years ago, there was a show on TV called Murphy Brown. You guys remember that show? And they had the painter that, you know, he just lived there. And I was cracking up. I was like, this guy is that guy. He's just, he's always, every time you see him, Mike's always, he'd come out of the room, he'd have something in his hand, he'd been working. I said, what are you doing here? Oh, another project for your mom. I was cracking up. I said, mom's Murphy Brown, and I can't remember the guy. But anyway, so one day the girls were cooking, and Mike's an excellent cook. I mean, he could cook, and he made awesome food. So he was, the girls were making eggs or something. He said, here, let me show you how to do this. He was in there, mom said, I walked in and hit all the girls in there, and he was teaching them how to cook. 
certain kind of eggs, you know, and they loved it. They were just like, oh, that's awesome. So they started calling it Mike's eggs. We're eating Mike's eggs today. So we're making eggs like Mike. So that was just a, it was just kind of a tough situation this week. And we've been ministering to the family and my mom and Beth uh, have been doing an excellent job of, of that. Um, well, then um, I think it was Wednesday. Wednesday, my, one of my, probably my best friend, uh, he had an aneurysm this week. And they found him in his house, and he was, uh, they, they rushed him to the hospital. Friday, they, they, he was in Tulsa. They were looking for a bed. They couldn't find a bed in OU. There was a doctor there that had a team, was wanting to do surgery on him. No beds were available, and, and they said, we don't have to go to Dallas. And it's like, we just can't do that. We don't want to do that. So um, the community began to pray. The churches in, in the Valley area began to pray. And within about, they said, there's no beds open. We don't know if there's going to be any beds open. Within four hours, of the, everybody, the text went out and began to pray. Bed opened up in OU. We'll do the surgery tomorrow, 1 o'clock. Friday, it goes in to do surgery. The doctors give them all the lists of everything that could go wrong. This is, this is what's going to happen when we do the surgery. There's blood vessels here. There actually ended up being two of them that have happened. So they, they tried to do it without having to go in through the, the skull, they went in and seen they couldn't do it. They stopped it. And that's what began to go this. Go through it. Whole thing. I mean, come through it really good. They told him, said, it's going to be two weeks, probably in ICU. It's real touch and go. Yesterday they come in and said, man, if he keeps going this way, as good as he's doing, he's coherent, he's talking, he's able to respond, he possibly could leave next Saturday. Uh, I just got a text this morning, and his wife said that he already got up and walked down the hall a little bit this morning. And moving around so his, his functions and everything is good. God is just good. Now, this is a young man. This is a boy that I grew up with. And his dad was a minister of the gospel. And he preached. Matter of fact, his dad surrendered under my grandpa's ministry. And I've been him. We've been. I tell people, I said, Lonnie was his name. And, and Lonnie just passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, he died of cancer. And, and uh, I tell a story about, about, I said, I've been whipped by Lonnie as much as I've been whipped by my dad. Like, if, if he, he busted in that room, pulled Craig up, went to working on him. And my first, I was laughing. I was, man, Craig's getting it. He's getting it. Next thing I know, he grabbed me up and went to work on me, too. I mean, we just, it, that's just, just the way it was. That's how close we were. That was heavy on my heart, you know, touch and go. Didn't know what was going to happen. But I began to see the Lord do some great things. But I have a heavy heart today. Um, we all know Friday, Roe versus Wade was reversed, which in one sense is a really great thing, but in another sense, my heart is heavy because I see the church not acting like Christ. It's, it's sad to think, man, we've been, this is something that we've been looking for for a long time, and here I am torn and, and almost can't celebrate it because of how we are acting towards people. And I hear things, this disturbs me. Now, this is where we're going to share, we're going to talk, and I got some scripture and some things I want, I want to talk to you about. But this is where, where right now we begin to see I want, to be, I want to be really careful because I, don't, I'm, I want to share my feelings, but I don't want to speak from, from that place either. Um, when, when the church does not act Christ-like, when our message comes from a place of us versus them, I've heard Jack say that a lot, us versus them. When we come from a place of us versus them, it is not the gospel. Uh, matter of fact, this is what I've been on my heart. I'm telling you, the, the Sermon on the Mount <laughs> and 1 Corinthians 13 have been on my heart so, so much. And, and the Sermon on the Mount says this in verse 13, it's, which is chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 13. Uh, Matthew 5, sorry. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the salt of the earth. You're supposed to bring flavor to things. 
But when it loses its flavor, it's not good for anything. We've, we've, we quoted the scripture, and I've been preaching about taste and see that the Lord is good. That's because we have flavor to give people. You may ever taste something don't have any flavor. You don't really want to share that. But when you taste something that's good, you're like, man, you need to try that. New restaurants open up. You need to go check this restaurant out. This is good stuff right here. Um, taste and you are the salt of the earth. It loses flavor. It's been going. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let them see your good works. Let them see the good things. And, and I'll be honest with you, Roe versus Wade being overturned, the world is not seeing our good works in that. Because we're not the salt of the earth. Because one thing that I see on, 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 on social media, and I hear a lot of people talking about this, and they're saying, oh, but now we can't give up. Now we've got to focus on the, the women and the children. We've got to focus on the family. We've got to focus on the children now. We've got to do this. And I'm thinking, and what I hear the Lord saying is, is the reason that the, the, the world, you've lost your flavor is because you haven't been doing that up to this point. It's, it it kind of stinks being having an apostolic anointing, an apostolic mindset, because at one point you're excited, but on the other point, I heard Yolanda say that sometimes when people get to a certain point, the apostles already moved on five steps ahead, and I kind of feel that way. Not that I'm just like, oh, I'm a, above everybody, but I, I have a hard time for, for victories because I'm like, okay, we still got work to do. <laughs> there's still a lot more to do. And on one hand, it's like, man, it's great. But there's still a lot that we've got to do. We're losing the salt. We're losing our flavor. And we like to tell everybody, I got truth, I got truth. But really what I keep seeing is, it's not that the, we're, we're so excited that, that Roe versus Wade is, has been overturned and it's the, the, the savings of babies. But I feel from the church, what I feel is, it's we've always been right and we told you so. And now we get to tell you how right we are. Now we've taken the moral high ground. <laughs> high ground. We've taken the high ground and now we are up here. Now we are better than you. And we told you this was going to happen. We told you this was going to happen. And we continue, continue, continue. And the reality of it is, over the years, the church has allowed women to be mistreated. Has allowed, the church has allowed racism to continue. And we've protected our own. I tell you, over the last few years, we've come out, seen come out, some prominent ministers have come out over abuses towards women and, and sexual abuse towards their using their authority and their power to, to do some evil things. And the very first thing that the church says is, do not touch my anointed. Talking about the man of God who's been doing this, do not touch my anointed. And I'm thinking, what about the anointed people you've been messing with? What about those people? And, 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 and yes, there's some small victories, but there's a lot of things that, that's, that's about to come to the forefront in the body of Christ. We love to say it. Revival starts. Judgment starts in the body of Christ. And it is about to start in the body of Christ. These things are being exposed more and more and more. Great men of God. Men who have, when, they, when they're passing on, there are secret sins that are coming out from these men because they've, they've chose to elevate themselves higher and we are losing the flavor to the world. Because we do not take care of women. We are not protective of children. Amen. Amen or oh me. And so it's hard for me to, to as, as I said, this, that's what kind of stinks. That's where I live in this place of like, man, I, I want to celebrate. But at the same time, it's like we've got so much work to do. We've got so much recovery to do. There is a movement right now called deconstruction. And a lot of people would look at that and say, oh, that's just, they're just leaving. No, they're leaving the church that we created. And they're looking for the church that Jesus built. Upon the rock, upon the, the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God, upon that rock I will build my church. Not upon the, the moral regulations that, that we as human beings have tried to place on people, 
And well, we're going to get higher ground. We're going to get higher ground. And I know this sounds like I'm just griping and complaining, but this is my spirit. And this is what I hear the Lord speaking. This is, you've lost the salt. Another scripture in Matthew 26 and 52. Uh, it's the story of, of, of um, Jesus in the garden. They come and, and they, they go to grab him. And Peter takes his sword out and cuts off the ear of the servant. Now I've said this, I've preached this several times again. That's what the church has done. Is we've cut the ears off of people. And then we get mad at them because they won't listen to us. And Jesus made this statement. He says, but Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place. Keep it where it's supposed to be. For all who take the sword shall perish by the sword. What I see the church doing is we are doing the exact same thing as the world. The world doesn't get their way. They riot. They begin to say hateful things. They begin to write painful slogans on their newspaper. They do that. The church doesn't get their way. What do they do? The exact same thing. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. So whenever we have victories now, we're not celebrating in Christ-like manners. We're not coming and saying, we've got work to do. This is something more. But now we are in the streets flaunting flaunting our victory over everybody else to let everybody else know we won, we're powerful, we have authority, we're greater than you because now we, are, we have a high ground, a moral elevation than you do. I'm going somewhere with this. Now we get to 1 Corinthians 13. This is tough stuff. I, this is the kind of stuff I don't like preaching as, as a minister, but, but this is the apostolic ministry where Paul says, you've done a lot of great things, but I have aught with you. And I'm not this church, not this church, not this body. If, it, if, if that's us, sometimes we all have that in us. And I have to root that out in me sometimes. There's sometimes where I get to thinking, I know more than they do. I'm thinking, my friend Craig, as far as I know, has never stood up and preached behind a pulpit in his life. Plays, he just started picking up guitar the last few years and playing at the church that his dad started. And one of my other friends is pastoring there in Tallahanna. But one of the things was there's a guy there in the valley who, who has moved in and he said, he put a thing on Facebook and he's doing this, uh, he's going to do a fundraiser at the local tavern bar there in town in, in, in Sardis Lake there. Quarter Horse Saloon. <laughs> It was, a, it was a rough redneck bar at one time called Shorty's Tavern. Tater Hill Tavern is what it was called. Rough. But this guy goes down there, and this is what he said. He said, when I first moved to this valley, Craig Stepp was one of my, one of my first friends. He's the first one that ever come up to me, because this dude looks way different. First of all, he's, he's Mexican. He's Hispanic, but he's a rocker. He's got hair. He wears like black, had chains on him, wore these Tony Lama boots. That, I mean, he looked like, he's from L.A. is where he originally was from. So he looked like a total rocker. Awesome, dude. Can play guitar like awesome. Anyway, Craig came to me and he said, immediately I knew that there were three things about this guy. First of all, he loved his family and he was a child or a servant, and this is what he says, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and he was a hardworking man. And I thought, what a message that this guy come into town and the first person he meet was my, Craig is just like this redneck, like just, he's just my redneck buddy. But that's the, what the guy got. That's, the, that's the, the, the flavor that he tasted when he first come to this area. This guy right here is for real. And he's doing a fundraiser <laughs> at the Tater Hill Tavern, the bar, to raise money for a godly man. So we're coming into this, 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 this time where it's imperative, I believe. It's not just me ranting, but it is going to be imperative that we do not lose the salt of the earth, the flavor that God has given us. If we act like the world, the world is going to act like us. If we trade punches with the world, they're going to trade punches with us. Jesus said, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. If you get in bed with politics, you're going to die by politics. 
If you think that changing the world is going, you're going to do it by voting, guess what? You're going to die by voting. But if you get in the spirit and you move according to the spirit of God. But Jesus made the, one, one of the guys made a statement, there is no law against love. Now, do we vote? Yes. Do we, do we work out our convictions somehow? Yes. But Paul says this. In verse 13, or chapter 13 of, of Corinthians, verse 1, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I get politicians to do our will, though we pass policies that are perfect in everything that we think of, but we don't have love, we are a clanging cymbal. We're just making noise. We've lost flavor. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, Paul says, I am nothing. This is huge. This is, this is where I've been reflecting and God has said, Lord, though, I, though I've, I've got great ministries, though I've done this and I've done that, God, have, have I really truly loved? Are we really showing love? But we like to use a love is truth. You got to give them the truth. Yeah, we do. Exactly. But it can't be with a sword. You can't cut somebody. That's truth, boy. <laughs> ah. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, you cut me. I want to know the Lord now. <laughs> right? No. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Listen to that. Though I martyr, I'm martyred. Though I, I give everything to the poor, but I don't do it out of love. If I do it just to gain moral high ground, if I do it just to show you how wrong you are, if I do it to prove to you and let you know how wrong you are, I've done it for the wrong reason. Be honest with you, if I do it just so I can go to heaven, <laughs> I've done it for the wrong reason. I'm going to say it this, and this is going to sting right here. If I'm doing all of this just so God will send revival, you're doing it for the wrong reason. And the majority of the church would rather have revival than they would to just love people. Because our culture has become empire building. Our culture has become about let revival start here so everybody will know we're the ones that brought revival in. We're the ones that had the great, great. And, and not, there's, you know, I never hear any prophets say, yeah, there's going to be a small revival that's going to happen in America. There's going to be these small little pockets of revival that's going to happen over here. And nobody's going to know anything. But it's going to be amazing to the people that receive Christ. It's always, it's the last great awakening. It's the great outpouring. It's this, it's that. It's huge. Bible says, do not despise small beginnings. It's never just, hey, you know what? God's going to use you. You're going to touch like five people. But their lives are going to be completely changed and completely radically turned upside down. And we don't ever hear prophecies like that. <laughs> it's gargantuan. You're going to have tens. Millions of people are going to come to your revival. Everybody's going to know who you are. That's, that's where we've gotten to. We've lost our flavor. And the world is sitting by going, maybe. But this is what Paul says here. This is verse 4. This is where we, we as the church, the watermark of Christianity is not how many miracles we've done. It's not revival, but it is the watermark is Christ. Verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. Talk to some of your friends that work in the, um, in, in, at restaurants on Sunday afternoons and see if Christians line up with this. Touch of that, do not behave rudely. Does not seek its own, is not provoked, 
and it thinks no evil. <laughs> I, Lord, forgive me. On, the, uh, on verse 4, forgive me, Lord. <laughs> I'm talking about me here. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. We ain't got it all figured out. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as also I am known. Verse 13. Now abide faith, hope, and love. These three but the greatest of these is love. Love is not envy. It does not boast. It does not parade itself. It does not tell you, I told you we were right. My prayer this week, I've been, sounds like I'm agitated, and there probably is a little bit that. But when that comes up, the Lord has led me to pray, Lord, pray for the church. Lord, that we would regain our, 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 our salt, our flavor again, Lord. The flavor is taste and see that he's good. The flavor is not, he's going to get you whether you want it or not. Matter of fact, he's going to use me to tell you every day how horrible you are so that you'll come to him. No. The flavor is, he's so good and he has such goodness for you here. As you guys know, sometimes I, I like music and I read, I read lyrics from, from bands that I, that I grew up listening to. And with, with Mike, with what happened with Mike this week, this really began to hit me. And I, this is a song that I've, I've liked for a long time by a band that was actually a collaboration of two bands coming together. A band called Audio Slave. Um, one, the band was a band called Rage Against the Machine, which was one of my favorite bands growing up. And then Soundgarden, a specific guy named Chris Cornell. Amazing, amazing rock singer. Had a super cool voice. Um, but Chris Cornell, he had committed suicide several years ago. He was a rocker and it was in the news. and It was, kind of, it was just a sad situation. But he wrote a song, uh, and the name of this song is called Like a Stone. And I've heard this song before, and I, the first time I heard it, it, it clicked me. And it happened years ago, and I thought, man, whatever. But I'm going to read the words to you. And you tell me if this is not a man that didn't have an experience. This says this. It says, on a cobweb afternoon in a room full of emptiness by a freeway, I confess. I was lost in the pages of a book full of death. Reading how we'll die alone, and if we're good, we'll lay to rest anywhere we want to go. Now here's the course. That sounds weird, but this is the course. In your house, I long to be. Room by room, patiently. I'll wait for you there like a stone. I'll wait for you there alone. And this is what he says in the second verse. And on my deathbed, I will pray to the gods and the angels like a pagan to anyone who will take me to heaven. To a place I recall, I was there so long ago. The sky was bruised, the wine was bled, and there you led me on. In your house I long to be. Room by room, patiently, I'll wait for you there like a stone. I'll wait for you there alone. I'm just going to add, then he goes into this amazing guitar solo that is just insane. So anyway, then the last verse it says this. And I read on until the day was gone, and I sat in regret of all the things I've done, for all that I've blessed and all that I've wronged. In dreams until my death, I will wander on. And then he says, in your house, I long to be. Room by room, patiently, I'll wait for you there like a stone. I'll wait for you there alone. Here's the words of a man that, that passed away. He ended up committing suicide through drugs. 
But as I begin to hear this song again, I begin to hear the Lord says, do you not think that I was speaking to him? Did you not hear what the, 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 the book that he was reading was the Bible? He found a Bible in, in a hotel room and he began to read it. And he says, I said in regret of all the things that I've done, of all the things that I've blessed and all the things that I've wronged. So I will wait for you room by room. He was searching and he was looking for something. You see, this is why we have to walk in love. This is why we have to walk not thinking evil. This is why we have to walk because if you will listen to the culture, if we can get past the screaming and the signs and, and if we can get past, well, they're, they're doing signs so we should be able to do signs. They're, they're parading and they're doing this so we should be able to do it and we're going to show them this. We're going to be louder than them of how wrong they are. Instead of listening to the pain, instead of listening for the cries of their hearts, deep cries out to deep, and we're not listening to the deep. We're listening to the surface. We're looking at the face screaming and yelling. We're looking at people parading up and down. We're looking at the costume that's covering up the sound that's coming from the inside. And we've completely done away with the flavor. And when we begin to scream and yell and we begin to pull the sword and fight with everybody, then we become just like them and we will die by the sword. And the words of Christ will become of no effect. But when we learn to love, true love because love trusts the Holy Spirit. Amen. Love trusts the Holy Spirit. Do we believe the Holy Spirit is working? I'm going to tell you right now, at large, the church does not. And I'll tell you why. Because most of the church believed that we hadn't been able to have revival because of the abortion. We've always got an excuse of why God's not moving. And if you notice, it's never not because we're not preaching the gospel or we're not loving people or we're not sharing. And we're never, we're never at fault. <laughs> if I've noticed that. We as Christians, it's always somebody else. If they would get right, then everything would be perfect. God's like, no, if you would act right. Amen. If you would humble yourself and pray, if you would humble yourself and talk to people, and share your heart with people and love people and quit trying to and quit get so upset over people <laughs> of sinners sinning. I, I begin to ask myself, what is that? Why am I so upset that they're sinning? Am, am, am I upset they're sinning because it's really hurting them and I love them so much that my heart's crying out that I'm like, oh, you just don't see it? Or is it just because, well, they should do better? And most of the time I found when I pray that prayer, it's usually it's because I've, they just need to do better. <laughs> you are the salt of the earth, he says. Jesus said, I've put you there. I've put you in the earth to bring flavor, to, to show people, taste and see that the Lord is good. How do we do that? Time and time again, I've seen people, one time, Mike told me, he said, I don't know if you know this, but you got a good dad. Mike didn't have a good dad. But he always wanted to hang around my dad. He was always where my dad was at. He was, wherever dad was at, he'd go find him just to, to be around him. My Uncle Don was in that area, and, and Mike first came in. He, he told Mike, he said, you are now one of my sons. And Mike said, what? And he said, no, no. He goes, no, no, you didn't understand me. Anything you need, you call me. You're now one of my sons. <laughs> as far as I know, my Uncle Don's never preached a message. He's never preached a sermon in his life. My dad's never preached a message, preached a sermon in his life. But the, the message that they preach on a daily basis by just loving people and caring for people and talking to people and treating men like their sons. 
treating men like their sons. My dad told him I could come borrow stuff. He said, you ain't got to ask, just come. He said, don't ask, just tell me you're going to take it and use it. Your family. My, and that meant so much to him. He was, well, he ended his life. He did this, he did that. I don't know. I don't have the answer for that. But I do know one thing. I do know that Mike was around people and in a community that shared the gospel with him all the time on a daily basis. And I do know that as we live our life, we're going to begin to find that it's going to be the greatest revival that's about to happen is going to be mundane. What it looks like to most people is, well, that's, not, that's just a few people. You've got two people saved. Jesus went to a whole island and only got one salvation. <laughs> Almost died getting there. Bill Johnson said that was the mission trip from hell. <laughs> the disciples like, we only had one person saved and you're just going to leave him here? But he went back and was able to do many miracles in that area because of that. We don't know whose lives we're touching. And that's why we should learn to love the way Jesus loved and listen and hear the pain. One thing the Lord has, has helped Beth and I in ministry is to be able to hear past all the stuff people are saying to us. And that's hard to do, especially when all the stuff they're saying to you is about you and all the things you're doing wrong. <laughs> and they're, they're cleaning you. <laughs> they're scaling you pretty good. And you're sitting there going, because the Comanche in me wants to just be like, all right, I'm fixing to tell you what. <laughs> We're fixing to settle this. Yeah. But the Jesus and the Spirit in me begins to say, listen to what they're saying. Look past the words. Look past what they're saying here and listen to the heart. Many times we've been able to speak what the heart is and it begins to turn to something restorative. And restoration. Sometimes it don't. Sometimes it, it gets even worse. But when they walk away, I don't sit around. It's, it's, been, it's been, again, you're caught in that moment of like really wanting to be fleshly, but then the Holy Spirit just rising up inside of you going, listen to their heart. You're like, yeah, but they said this and this and this. And God's like, yeah, but you know the truth. <laughs> I wish I didn't. Because <laughs> I'd really like to tell them what I think. And even what I preached today is a part of me that was like, Lord, if you would let me loose, I could tell some people, we could straighten this out. And the Lord was like, yeah, but is that love? <laughs> no, it's not, Lord. No, it's not. I don't like when you ask me that, Kate. Is that love? <laughs> oh, okay. I'm just going to start doing and ask for forgiveness <laughs> type thing. Yeah, are we, are, am, am, the abortion thing has been a heavy thing. And there's a, there's a lot that we, a lot of people have so many different things, but the reality of it is there's so many things connected. There's so many things that's, that's, that's this. And I tell you what, what aggravates me more than anything, what I see right now, and so as, as Christians, we have to watch just where we throw our hat with things because that one thing is being politicized. And there's fear being brought from both sides of this. And so we as Christians, there's one thing the Lord has taught me, Beth and I, is, how to, is we have to walk in balance. We have to see this side, but we also have to hear the hurts and the pains of this side. Amen? And that's a hard road to walk, and that's a hard road to walk with people that are all about this side. And that's hard to walk with all people about this side because what they see is fighting with each other and the people that they're fighting over are stuck in the middle with nobody caring for them. And that's where we belong, is loving those people, sharing the heart and the gospel with those people. I'm going to say it. Go ahead. It's <laughs> too soon. No. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I wanted to uh, share, like Brent talking about his friend Craig. Craig was raised in church, but he had some wild years that he went through. And just to share a little bit about the person Craig is, when he was 17, he got his girlfriend pregnant in high school. And immediately it was, what do I do? What do you want to do? Let's do this. Let's take care of this. I I did this. He took full responsibility. And his boy is named Austin. Awesome kid. And Craig was by his every side. Um, They didn't get married, but he was a dad to that boy and stuck with it. Um, Did everything. Could change jobs to be able to have the money to help raise this kid and give the money to the mom, anything she needed. Um, He met... Another girl got married, thought it was going to be great. She ended up not wanting to live that kind of lifestyle. Um, Got on drugs, abandoned the kids. She had full custody. He paid child support. They lived with him almost all the time because she didn't want him. He still paid that money to her, knowing it went to anything else. He did everything he could for those two kids. Um, Ended up marrying another woman. She had a little boy, four years old. They didn't work out either. He wasn't living for the Lord at the time, had alcohol problems, all that. But he, when she left him, he told that boy who by then was eight years old, if you need anything, call me. I will do anything for you. Not his son. Still raising the three kids that were his. Stayed single a while. The woman he's with now, he got back in church, got with the Lord, met a good Christian woman. She's got two daughters of her own. Well, guess what? They're his kids. They're his daughters. They belong to him. He treats them like his. So he has this history in his life of he, he allowed something to happen, was a partner in it, and he never left it. He was a father and decided to be a father. And I will say as a minister and a woman, I can name five girls that I am personally friends with that had a situation happen in their life where they ended up in a pregnancy they did not expect to happen, or just, it just happened. One of them had the man say, how much money do you want to go take care of it? The other one had a man say, what makes you think that's mine? The other one had a man say, what do you want me to do about it? The other one had a man that never showed up and never found her again, and just completely blocked her calls. The other one told her that he would tell everybody what kind of a person she was and show pictures of her if he ever, she ever said that that was his baby. Three of these women were Christian and knew the Lord, and so were the men. Now, I will say, I've ministered to a lot of women in church. I've been a minister my whole life with kids. Since I was a kid, I have yet once, and I mean this, I have never sat down with a man or a young man who approached us and said, I have gotten someone pregnant. I need help taking care of this baby. I've done something. I need advice. I need counsel. This has happened. I have never been approached by a young man for that. Women, yes. Girls, yes. Never talked to a teenage boy. We were youth pastors. We've been youth pastors collectively about 10 years. Never once talked to a teenage boy about him in distress because something happened. He never said, oh man, I messed up with this girl and I think she's going to have it. I've never had that conversation with a boy. And I appreciate the men in this room. You guys are fathers. You guys step up for people that aren't yours. Ronnie, I know you do it all the time. And that is some of the wounds we need to heal in our country and in our church. Because I've seen the side of the woman all alone. Who, what do I do? And there's no one over here going, I'm a part of this, I want to help. You know? And that's where I'm like, as the church, we got, we've got to start stepping up the best we can. Men have got to start stepping up. Boys have got to start stepping up. I want to raise my young men to cherish a woman. To take pride in what they're doing. To value it. To realize that this is a real deal. This isn't just having fun and sowing oats and boys will be boys. This is us stepping up and saying, if we're going to take a moral high ground, let's take it all the way up. And that's what, and, and like Brent said, I mean, back when sex trafficking was really coming to the light in the media a couple of years ago and it was really being highlighted, 
man, I love kids so much. And I remember just feeling hopeless for a second there because there's so much wickedness out there in the world. And you're just like, how can, it's bigger than we ever imagined. How do you stop it when people in authority and control are running it? How does it ever end? And the Lord said, you've got seven kids in your care. I just have my seven, my three children and my four nieces. But if, like Brent said, if I can influence my seven, that they know who they are without a shadow of a doubt, that they know not to hurt another person, they know to protect themselves, they know they are designed by God and valuable, then I did something. That was my job. And those seven will continue on in their life. And that's where I see, and then the only thing, I, I, I do rejoice over Friday, but I also was saddened, and my sadness came from so many of my Christian circles, it, they revealed that they think they're separate from God. They're saying, now the curse is over. Now God can move in our country. Now the Lord will come. And I'm like, we have created a God that he only moves if we do the, put the right fire out there, wave the right flag. What kind of God is that? That's not a very nice God. If my children are looking at Brit and I going, well, mom and dad will be nice to me when I do this. Well, now mom and dad will be good to us and take us for ice cream because we did this, this, and this. That is not the God I serve. The God I serve sent his own son before I ever existed, before the world was formed. The God I serve is already among us in the very fabric of us. Emmanuel, God with us. I'm not having to do something special or something legal or something big in our nation to get God to pay attention to me. He sees me every morning. Right in front of me. And that's where my heart got turned because I do rejoice for the lives of the babies. But at the same time, I'm like, has the church gotten so far that we think we're that separated from God? That until we do this one thing, then God will do something good for us. Then God will love us. No, God is among us. He's among the unbelievers and the believers. He, it says he covers the whole earth. And so that's, that is the thing I want of all of us to see. We have work to do as these small pockets on the church side and the the unbelieving side. We've got to show them all God is with you. He's here. He's among us. So that's just my thought about it. There's just a couple of points. Um, God is divine. You know, you go through, you watch TV, you see the things that are going on that are being broadcast out there. And we're just a little group. But I think it's important that when God tells you something, you release it. Because this is a creative word. And you've heard me say that before, the few times I've been up, is that when you say something, this is a creative word. And so what is being said is a creative word that's being released. Okay, And it's going to generate things beyond these walls. You've been mentioning salt all morning. And I think it's really interesting that um, (laughs) I love Westerns. My wife will tell you I watch way too many Westerns. I really love Westerns. Um, Rawhide. The cattle were dying and they couldn't figure out why. And they wouldn't drink water. It's because they had no salt. Well, that sent me on a tangent in the word. And I started to look it up and all of a sudden... Having salt meant so much more because if you don't have salt, you can't thirst. So if we're the salt of the world from the day that we become a Christian and we're not giving salt to those who need it, they can't thirst. So whose fault is it if they don't accept Christ? why the Lord says, humble yourself and pray. If my people will humble themselves and pray. My people. Not the world. Not John who's having a hard time and keeps doing the wrong thing and I just want to straighten him out. Not him. No. If my people, me, me, my wife, right? If we humble ourselves and pray, we get up in the morning and we have this burden and this weight on us and we can't figure out why. Instead of going, there's just too much crap in the world. I need to shut everything off for a while. No, how about you just sit down for a minute, have your cup of coffee, shut everything else off and say, Father, what's going on? 
you and I need to have a talk. Let's, tell me what's going on. I need to hear your voice. I need to get a place of peace. We need to be the salt. That was my foundation scripture. That was the very first scripture I ever, ever memorized. You know, salt and light. It's imperative. You can't be one without the other. You just can't. We have an opportunity right now in humility to make declarations into existence that will change everything because a stronghold in our nation has been brought down. Understand this, Molech no longer has a place. His place has been taken. I don't say this lightly because when you make statements like this, there can be repercussions spiritually. And my wife and I have lived through them. (laughs) Um, But this is the ministry God's given me, so I'm going to say it. When Moloch has been brought down, Moloch is, for those of you who don't know, Moloch is a spirit. Moloch is a spirit that that uh, feeds on the sacrifices of the innocent, specifically on children, unborn and born. Um, He's also known as Baal, same thing. Okay. And if you know Baal, you know Molech, well, you also know Jezebel and Ahab. And if there is no place for Molech, Jezebel has nothing to feed off of because the power that she fed on is gone. So this is an undermining, this is a cutting that's happened at the very root of an incredibly strong thing that's been over our nation for the last 75, 80 years, long before abortion ever came into play. In that, we need to celebrate in humility. We need, we need to get on our knees and say, God, you are so good to be so gracious to us, to give us a place of reprieve and a place of understanding and a place where we can now go and we can say, Lord, can you please fulfill everything you have for this? See, we didn't do anything to get rid of Moloch. We stood out there and held our signs. I remember one, I went to a um, uh, pro-life protest, if you want to call it that, years ago in a little town called Estevan, Saskatchewan, a little coal town. And I had a buddy of mine, Mario. And Mario is a character. He's one of these guys, everything he does is perfect. Like, I'm not saying he thinks it's perfect. I mean, everything the guy does is perfect. If he plays hockey, he's in the NHL, right? If he picks up a baseball bat, he hits home runs three times out of four. Like, this is just who he is, right? Um, Mario got up there, and he thought he had it in his mind exactly how it should be, the protest should go. And our pastor had wanted to do it in peace and love. We were to stand, have signs that were respectful, that would draw people in, not chase people away. And we were to stand in quiet resistance. Mario didn't think that was right. He got into a verbal mayhem with a guy in a truck that was driving by and the guy pulled over just to continue on with it and it just went AWOL and it did nothing matter of fact it did the opposite of nothing it tore down a whole bunch of people people left it just on both sides it just wasn't good but we have a place right now where if we do the right thing, if we don't do, if we don't, and and for years afterwards, we would call that pulling a Mario. That was his, he created that. I'm not going to pull another Mario, he'd say, right? And so we have a place now where we don't have to pull a Mario. We can literally love people. God came, and just as in salvation, he gives us the knowledge of salvation so that we can recognize that his presence is in front of us so that we can be saved. That's how salvation works. And then we have the option of accepting it or not accepting it. It's the same when we're dealing with salt. We have the option to be salt to somebody that then declares a thirst, and then they'll come to us or to somebody else and say, I am so thirsty, and say, Look and see what I have for you. Drink and see that it is good. And you can give them 
the drink that is refreshing forever. This is the opportunity that we're at with this. This is what God has done. God has come and he said, now I am removing Molech because it's the season. Because my people had no hope. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Yes. If you had known me. She's not going to know unless she has the opportunity. This is something that we, we, we now need to know in humility that God removed Molech. In removing Molech and removing Baal, in removing the strength of Jezebel and Ahab, what he has done is he has undercut the political structure, the religious structure. Okay, I could go way back on that, all the way back to a place in... 245 AD, I think it was, when they had a meeting and they divided the church into political and religious structures and dissected the word of God and did horrible things to it because of it. But let me tell you something, all of that is being undercut by this. God is saying it's the season to bring it back to the first church. In order to bring us back to the first century church into a place of love and understanding, this is what he had to do. This had nothing to do with us. This is because it was God's timing. And we need to receive that in humility and pursue your portion. Go to God. Say, what's my portion in this? We're in a, this is a whole, people aren't getting it. I said this to Dana the other day. I said, people aren't getting it. They're not getting the fullness of this. This is insurmountable. This is, un, this is, this is, this is staggering. Jezebel and Ahab have been cut off at the root. That means that the spirit of religion and the spirit of politics have been cut at the root. So there's going to be a whole lot of screaming on both sides. And we need to make sure that as they're falling into the ditches on both sides, that we're on the road. That was the picture when you were saying that. I got this picture in my mind. I saw them falling in the ditches on both sides. And if we're walking the road... Does God say there's going to be a lot of people on the road? There's going to be thousands of people on the road. No. He says the road is hard. The road is narrow. You walk it. And when I bring you somebody, you move in it with them. You listen to my spirit. You hear what I have to say. And you function in that. Praise the Lord. There's, there's be plenty to be said in the next few days and weeks and years on this. So uh, be sure and keep your heart right. And let God do what God does. And you do what God tells you to do. <laughs> Not what... Not what you do, but what He tells you to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father, for the Word. Thank you, God, for the things that You're doing in our day and things that we get to witness and be a part of. Father, help us to stay in that narrow road and not venture off to the left or the right. We'll give you praise and glory and honor and all that. Amen? Amen. Let's make a declaration here. Yes. As we have given back to the Lord a portion of what He has given us, we declare that He teaches us to profit and leads us in the way we should go. The Lord gives us power to make wealth and supplies all our needs according to His riches and glory. We bless Israel and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And as He blesses us, His way becomes known on the earth and His salvation among all nations. 
Lord, we are believing you for jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, debts paid off and transferred wealth, prosperous businesses, our vats filled with oil and our coffers with gold, expenses decreased, blessings increased, heavens opened, earth invaded, signs, wonders, and miracles, and angelic visitations. Lord, kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, thank you for more than enough so we can give you kingdom, co-labor with heaven, and see Jesus get his full reward. Amen. Amen.